0: Pilate asked Jesus, What is truth? The world is no closer to answering that question today than it was nearly 2,000 years ago. Sadly, we may be further from the answer today. The truth is that a growing number of misguided individuals are not sure that absolute truth exists. In our postmodern world, truth is seen as relevant. Or to put it the way that they do, your truth may not be the same as my truth. The subject of suppressing truth leading to outright deceit would not even need to be discussed if this was the only problem regarding truth. But it isn't. Long standing truths are being challenged and ridiculed at a pace that is difficult to comprehend. The entire value system of Western civilization is being turned upside down and deadly consequences will be the result. And that's the truth. But it's not just Western civilization. For example, China has undergone dramatic changes over the last 30 years, and while we would applaud as well as stand in amazement of the progress in living standards and technological achievements, all has not been positive. Traditional family values have taken a hit, and divorce is on the rise, and divorce is not happy. That's another truth. What's happening in our world? Where are we headed? And where can we turn to find truth in this age of deceit? Stay tuned! Welcome to Tomorrow's World from those of us at the Living Church of God, the sponsor of this program, and a special welcome to those of you tuning in for the very first time. The Bible predicted long ago that there would come a time when truth would be rejected. This is not the first time that truth has been, not only rejected, but suppressed in favor of false concepts. However, the pace and scope to which it is happening is breathtaking. The prophet Isaiah describes this time with these words in the 59th chapter, beginning in verse 4. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch viper's eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. The prophet then points out the consequences for individuals in general, and especially for anyone courageous enough to stand up for truth and justice. His description of a society built on such a shaky foundation continues in verse 14, Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey then the lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice does this describe our postmodern world consider these north american examples brendan nike the ceo of the semi-popular firefox web browser was forced to resign after it was discovered that he had donated $1000 to a california campaign to keep marriage between a man and a woman. The contribution was legal. It was his own money, and it was a legitimate campaign conducted in what is known as a democratic society. But in the eyes of the homosexual lobby, how dare he do such a thing? Imagine, marriage should only be between a man and a woman. What was considered normal during the whole history of the United States until only a decade ago has now become unacceptable and can get one run out of a corporate position. Had he made the contribution and support of same-sex marriage, everything would have been fine. How did we arrive at such a turnaround in values in so short a time? Madsen and Kirk were two homosexual activists. In 1989, Marshall Kirk and Hunter Madsen wrote the book, After the Ball, in which they proposed, among other things, quote, a campaign of propaganda to sell homosexuality to America. And as we know, American values tend to spread to the rest of the world. After the ball laid out a plan, the one can look back on and see that it was skillfully carried out. They proposed a propaganda campaign aimed at converting the American population to acceptance of homosexuality. That this was the launch of a propaganda campaign is not in doubt. In fact, more than once Madsen and Kirk admit to such a campaign. Gays must launch a large-scale campaign. We've called it the waging peace campaign, to reach straight through the mainstream media. We're talking about propaganda. In a way, one must marvel at the cleverness of these two individuals even if we totally disagree with what it is that they set out to accomplish. And it should be noted that they did accomplish their goal over the next 20 years. And it is not as though they were not upfront about how they were going about it. Concerning propaganda, they spelled out its primary characteristics. First, propaganda relies more upon emotional manipulation than upon logic. In other words, They didn't want people to use their intellectual senses. Instead, the appeal would be to the emotions. And did you notice the word, manipulation? Let me read that short sentence again because it is hugely significant. First, propaganda relies more upon emotional manipulation than upon logic. And that is what the gay activists have done through skillful use of their allies in the media. They have appealed not to facts and truths, but to people's emotions. As they pointed out later in the book, their campaign must focus on warm, but general terms such as love, not on the actual practices of homosexuals. The fact that the homosexual lifestyle is not a healthy lifestyle, and that is truth, in fact, must not be allowed to influence public opinion. The second sinister characteristic of propaganda is its frequent use of outright lies, a tactic we neither need nor condone. But is this true? Contrary to what they profess, do Madsen and Kirk need and condone outright lies and deceit? There is far too much in the book to cover more than a small fraction of what's in it, but here is one technique they proposed to convert people to their biblically immoral point of view, and it answers this question. As we shall see, this proposed technique is nothing but a lie. In conversion, the bigot is repeatedly exposed to literal picture label pairs in magazines and on billboards and TV of gays, explicitly labeled as such, who not only don't look like his picture of a homosexual, but are carefully selected to look either like the bigot and his friends, or like any one of his other stereotypes of all-right guys, the kind of people he already likes and admires. This image must, of necessity, be carefully tailored. What should be obvious is that such a campaign of propaganda is dishonest. It is deliberately and carefully designed to avoid the truth and to paint a dishonest picture or to put it another way, it's a lie, as shown in the next paragraph in their own words. But it makes no difference that the ads are lies, not to us, because we are using them to ethically good effect. Madsen and Kirk divided people into three categories, those already favorable to their cause, those who are ambivalent and can be persuaded by their propaganda campaign, and those who can never be persuaded. Realizing that there will always be those who will not be deceived by a slick propaganda campaign, tactics have to be used to silence them. In their campaign they continually use pejorative terms such as bigots, homo-haters, and homophobic. They leave no room for anyone to be anything else. They are either for them or against them. There is no room for the person who is neither afraid nor filled with hatred, but who disagrees on moral or religious grounds. If he disagrees, he must be labeled a bigot, or he must be irrationally fearful, homophobic, or he must be filled with hate, a homo-hater. Madsen and Kirk admit to preferring the word homo-hater. But most importantly, these individuals who cannot be converted to their point of view must be silenced. Our primary objective regarding die-hard homo haters of this sort is to cow and silence them as far as possible, not to convert or even desensitize them. As we can see from this, objective truth has no place in the discussion, and if truth is contrary to the goal, it must be silenced. Truly the prophet Isaiah knew what he was talking about when he declared, Truth is fallen in the street. Why do such tactics work? How is it that so few are willing to stand up against lies and intimidation? To be sure, there are voices crying out and standing up to these bullies, but not nearly enough. David Kapelian is one of those who has spoken up. In The Marketing of Evil, he explains why so few are willing to unapologetically speak out. Unfortunately, people who aren't strong and sure of their beliefs simply cannot withstand the demands of unreasonable, angry intimidators. They give in, they compromise, and they even adopt the bully's view as their own to keep the peace. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. The War Against Truth runs deep within the Western world and is certainly not confined to homosexuality. What we have is an all-out assault on moral values, values which have endured for centuries. Miriam Grossman is another one with the courage to speak up, though she had a lot to lose by doing so. As a psychiatrist at UCLA, one of the most well-known universities in the United States, she wrote in a book titled, Unprotected, a powerful indictment on the takeover of university campus health centers by a radical elite. As she writes in her introduction, I once assumed campus medicine and psychology had one priority, student well-being. I am no longer so naive. Radical politics pervades my profession, and common sense has vanished. When Miriam Grossman first wrote Unprotected, she listed the author as anonymous M.D. All that was known about her was that she was a psychiatrist at a leading university somewhere in the United States. She was clearly afraid of losing her job, and her courage in later identifying herself is most commendable. She explains the reason for such fear as follows, What price will I pay for being politically incorrect? You probably didn't know what some insider psychologists are now revealing that psychology, psychiatry, and social work has been captured by an ultra-liberal agenda, and that there are special interest mafias in our national organizations. Likely you didn't hear that certain points of view are squelched, that there are horror stories of shunning and intimidation, and that many will not speak up fearing ridicule, vicious attack, or loss of tenure or stature. What these special interest mafias aim to do is create a secular society totally free of any moral restraint. They promote the idea that secular is synonymous with neutral, fair, and inclusive. But secular is anything but neutral, fair, and inclusive. It is anti-God and anti-traditional values. And as Grossman points out, these secularists who promote the ideal of inclusiveness have strict limits on what is acceptable expression of thought. Yes, the university and my department were committed to the principles of diversity and multiculturalism. This commitment was plastered all over our policy statements, but somehow, through the years, I got the sense that the diversity that I represented wasn't the same type to which they were so profoundly committed. Frankly, there are far more quotes I would like to read from this book than we have time for, because it is packed with political incorrectness, otherwise known as truth. But please indulge me to read one more. She addresses and warns parents of the following, The nurse teaching your daughter about herpes, that's a sexually transmitted disease. The social worker reassuring your son about his homosexual thoughts. These people may have a vision for social change that you don't share. They may see their jobs as an avenue for activism, and one of their goals is to influence your child. Their goal is an androgynous culture, where the differences between male and female are discounted or denied, and the bond between them robbed of singularity. Well, please indulge me for just one more because this is important to know the source of her arguments. I argue as a scientist with biological facts, not biblical ones. Forget Leviticus. As you'll see, my data is from the New England Journal of Medicine and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. While she argues from science and biological facts, not Leviticus, We at Tomorrow's World do argue from Leviticus while respecting true science and biology, and we applaud people such as Miriam Grossman for having the courage to stand up and tell the truth, where there are consequences that are negative for doing nothing more than telling the truth. As seen above, political correctness has especially affected learning centers, schools at all levels, from grade school to the universities, It should not surprise us, then, that university-based publishing houses carefully screen the messages going out to make sure they meet the criteria of political correctness. David Capellian tells a story of how Harvard University Press contracted with the University of Chicago sociologist and professor Linda J. Waite and co-author Maggie Gallagher to write a book on the subject of marriage had extensively studied the subject and was a self-described liberal. Capellian describes what happened. Apparently the Harvard-based publishing house expected the book to do the politically correct thing and disparage marriage, as is so common among today's academic elite. But as the Harvard scholars reviewed the manuscript, they found it revealed married men and women live happier, healthier, more financially secure lives, and even have more and better sex. So naturally, the university's publication board members decided at the last minute not to publish the book titled, The Case for Marriage, Why Married People Are Happier, Healthier, and Better Off Financially, a book they themselves had commissioned. Now why was it pulled from publication? One Harvard Press reviewer said she didn't like the book's tone. That's about as close to an answer as the public ever got. Most people have never read Isaiah's prophecies, and those who have think they only have relevance for a former time long past, but is this so? Are His words that God inspired about the state of affairs in His day only relevant for His day? Or do they apply to a time far off in the future, such as our day? And if to our day, what are the implications for you and me? Let's go back to the 59th chapter of Isaiah and take a closer look. There are three main parts to the chapter. The first part describes the problem. Paraphrasing Isaiah, no one calls for justice or pleads for truth. They trust in deceit and lies. Violence is everywhere and innocent blood is shed. Their minds are filled with sinful thoughts and there is no peace. Now that pretty much describes our day to day. The second part describes the cry for help. They recognize the lack of justice in their land. They look for solutions, but none come. The end result is what we read earlier in verses 14 and 15. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the LORD saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. So we have the problem defined, and we see that man cries out in vain for a solution. Now the third section of the discourse points to the only real solution. The God of the Bible will intervene. The Western world is now almost entirely held captive by the political correctness mafias. Lies abound everywhere. Truth is censored. Step out of line and you are subject to ridicule, intimidation, or shunning. You might even lose your job, or you may be told you have to go for sensitivity training. Truth is suppressed and has fallen in the street. The suppression of truth is not new, but what is going to be the end result for our generation? Where is it heading? Sadly, it is leading to consequences far worse than ridicule, intimidation, shunning, and or loss of job. The end game for the political correctness mafias is the total elimination of Christianity and the worship of God. They seek a secular world where anything goes and where there are no moral restraints. But the apostle Peter warns us in 2 Peter 2 and in verse 18, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Yes, even in this life there are penalties for the transgression of God's law. While these individuals envision a world of freedom from God, what they're going to reap is disaster. We are told by the Apostle Paul in Galatians, the sixth chapter, verses seven and eight Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Political correctness is one of the greatest forms of censorship known to man. It begins with ungodly men and women with loud voices. They often find positions of influence on university campuses such as in the Health Services Department at UCLA and most other Western campuses as described by Dr. Miriam Grossman. They are activists who plot and plan strategies among special interest groups, such as in the example of Hunter Madsen and Marshall Kirk. Far too many media lapdogs promote their agendas and spread their lies, but there are consequences for those who reject God and His eternal truths. As explained beginning in Romans, the first chapter, and in verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. The Bible speaks of a day in the future when God will intervene in the affairs of man on a grand scale. We find prophecy after prophecy describing a time known as the Day of the Lord, the time of God's wrath upon rebellious mankind. Romans 1 beginning in verse 18 addresses those who suppress the truth. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Arrogant men and women envision an anything-goes world, lacking any kind of moral restraints. Now God is patient, but woe to man when his patience runs out. The prophet Isaiah warns us of this coming time, Notice Isaiah, the second chapter, beginning and verse 10. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust, from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. So how can you resist false concepts being pushed in this age of deceit? The answer begins with truth and ends with courage. Pilate asked Jesus, What is truth? Jesus gives us the answer in a prayer to his Father in heaven concerning his disciples. It's found in John, the 17th chapter and verse 17. Sanctify them, meaning to set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. If you'd like to learn more about today's subject, please go to our website that will be shown momentarily, where you can read or download our informative booklet, Prophecy Fulfilled, God's Hand in World Affairs. There is a real God, and He will intervene in human affairs, and when He does, you will know that you heard it right here on Tomorrow's World. So be sure to come back each week at the same time and station to learn more about what's ahead for rebellious mankind and to learn the eventual good news of tomorrow's world. See you next time. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. The preceding program has been produced by the Living Church of God.